Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, na'ahmaduhu wa nusalli ala rasulihi al-kareem amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala, and we seek blessings upon the Prophet, peace be upon him. So continuing our exploration of Surah 2, Surah Al-Baqarah, now we're getting into the topic of taqwa. But let me give you a little bit more of, of what the next subsection is going to be like. Some of this is going to at first look like it's a repetition, but it's more new material. And oops. I've got to plug in my, my board here. So, so this subsection, Ayahs 2, 2, 2, 220, we said was models of belief and rejection. And there are going to be four parts here. First part is ayahs two through five, which is what we'll be spending today on and probably at least tomorrow. And then six to seven, and eight through 16, and then the last part. And so these are the people of Tukwa. These are the people of Kufr. And these are the people of Nifaq. In all these terms, as we get to them, we'll define them. And these are going to be metaphors of the above. So this is the material that'll keep us busy probably for at least the next week and a half. These uh, various attributes or these different types of people relate to belief and, and rejection. And immediately we're focused on the people of Taqwa. And so <clears throat> a person of Taqwa in fact, we'll talk about those things when, when, we, when we get to them. Uh, does anyone need, I still need a few more moments to note this down? Or I can move forward and show them. Okay. So, and these are all like the whiteboards are all inshallah being saved. So, taqwa we've already defined where I'm translating it as shielding yourself with Allah. And this is also giving us a hint, uh, a little bit about how life operates, that life in by design is going to hit you and hit you and hit you. It's going to hit you with every single type of test. We've already spoken about the five tests. And sometimes the, the tests that we remember the most 
sometimes are the test of struggle. But the idea being that if you turn to Allah, if you keep your reliance upon Allah, then inshallah, you'll persevere through. The tests are still going to hurt. The tough tests are still going to hurt, but you will still persevere through. And in this section, in IS 2 through 5, we have six attributes. Let's make that more clean. Six attributes of the people of Taqwa. And, and these I'm taking literally straight from the text of the Quran itself. You know, the first one is that they have Iman in the Ghaib. Second one is that they establish Salah. The third one is they spend of what we have bestowed upon them. And the word using being used here for spend is infaq of what And another word that we will be visiting there is rizq. And then they believe in the revelation sent to the prophet and they believe in the revelation sent to those before him. So believe they have iman in revelations sent to Muhammad, peace be upon him. And, and so Iman, or belief in revelation before him. And there's certain of the hereafter. So I've also given you some basic terminology. Those terms will define as we get to them. And our focus today is going to be at least on the first attribute, Iman in the Ghaib. Now, elsewhere in the Quran, we have other attributes of the people of Taqwa. Here we have six of them. And we will also, as we complete this, we will also look at what's common among all these specific six attributes, meaning other attributes that we find in the Quran is that they control their anger or they they uh, they are uh, they forgive when they're angry. Uh, receive the question. The last one means belief in the hereafter. The last one is certainty in the hereafter. 
as well as to compare what is the relationship between Iman and Yaqeen, Yaqeen, which we're translating as certainty. Okay. So these are six of the attributes of taqwa. And, and what is the, let's look at the surah passage itself. The Quran says this is his guidance Guidance for those who have taqwa. Here it's translated as God conscious. Son of Ghaib, yeah, same word. Yeah, uh, I just spelled it G H A Y B. So, guidance. So, the Quran is guidance for those who have taqwa. And then here's the six attributes they believe in the unseen. They establish prayer, the spend of what we have bestowed upon them. They believe in the revelation sent to you, Muhammad, and what was revealed to those before you. And they are in the hereafter, they have certainty. So, certainty in the hereafter. And now, what else does it say about these people? These are the people who are on guidance, and these are the successful. So, what we can imagine is that this belief type is something to aspire to. This is something to try to reach, to be a person of taqwa. And notice these are also, none of these are commands. This is basically saying, here's the people of taqwa, and here's what they're like, and these are the successful people. So what we can understand from that is, I should try to be like those people. So let's talk about belief in the unseen. So this is commonly translated as belief in the unseen. <clears throat> so, so first defining the word uh, that we're translating here as Iman. Iman means to have Iman it means to have such a level of security that people feel secure just by being in your company. If you have Iman, you have such a level of security that people feel secure just by being in your company. So I'm gonna call that, for just for the sake of simplicity, radiating security. And so we have to dif differentiate what we mean here versus what we commonly speak of when we speak of belief. If I believe something is true, what we often say is, yeah, I take this as true, but I can't prove it. That's not at all what we're talking about here. We're saying that I am so comfortable and secure in the truth that people feel secure by being around me. That is a level of Iman. And so, and then the unseen would be that which is beyond my perception.
So, <clears throat> simple question. What are th some things that are in the unseen? What would you include? Feel free to talk or to type. Gins, and so that's how I can tell when I'm talking to undergrads, because usually gins is the first thing that comes up. Angels, what else? What else is part of the unseen? The future is part of the unseen, absolutely. What else is part of the unseen? Afterlife. Afterlife is in the unseen, absolutely. Heaven and hell are in the unseen. Oh, deep, Ruby. Fear is in the unseen, or someone else's fear. What else? And then I'm usually waiting to see, how long is it before someone mentions Allah? <laughs> so jinns are mentioned way before Allah is being mentioned. And so, so your humor, your humor is in the unseen, mashallah. My, my humor is definitely in the realm of perception. It's unfortunate that it's in the unseen for, for most of you, but that's okay as long as it's in my realm of perception. Okay, anything else that's in the unseen? We have just about all the big things. Another thing that has, I don't think, been mentioned, history is also in the unseen. So, so the big ones would be, of course, Allah. And then beings, some beings, like angels and jinns. For those of you who are not familiar with jinns, think of genie from Aladdin. Genie from Aladdin is a jinn. Uh, if anyone here, the few of you here that are close to my age, you remember I Dream of Jeannie. She is also a jinn, technically, Barbara Eden. Uh, we'll talk more about jinns uh, when we get to it. Here's a question. Uh, are there more beings that are part of the unseen in the Islamic paradigm? Yeah, the answer is actually yes. There are other, other, uh, other beings that are part of the unseen. The main ones that we're familiar with are angels and jinns. And then what else? Uh, extraterrestrials, well, it depends on if they're in the unseen realm or if, or if it's just that we have not perceived of them yet. And then related to time, we have history and the future. Related to location would be realms in the unseen like heaven and hell. Related to others would be other people's hearts and intentions. Meaning, I do not know what is in your heart. I may get a sense of it. I do not know what your intentions are. I may get a sense of it. And so these are some of the elements in the unseen. There's Allah, I'm not calling Allah a being, essentially because you know Allah is sort of uh, beyond everything. Uh, Sana, the souls would also be in the unseen, absolutely. And we can put that sort of 
in beings, or let's just say relate to others we can't see. Now let's just put it here. We know very little about, about the soul. And, and so, so these are a lot of the big ones. <clears throat> and so what does it mean to, mean to have Iman in the unseen? At one level, it's basically to say that these things are true. And so this introduces <clears throat> one of the Islamic sciences or the Islamic fields, and that is Aqidah. Aqidah is sort of similar to creed or doctrine. So for example, what is part of Aqidah? If I believe the Shahada, if I believe that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, then then, as a consequence, I believe in some other things, like angels, other books, messengers, the day of judgment, divine decree, Uh, that there is a last day. Well, that's the day of judgment. Sorry, let me let me relate to the day of judgment. Is the fact that everyone is going to be resurrected right down to their fingertips? And and what are these things? These teach us how does Allah reveal his will? How does Allah self-disclose? And these are things that are starting in the unseen. So angels, the books are coming from the unseen. The Quran reaches us into the realm of the seen. The messengers, as far as we are concerned now, are in the realm of the unseen. The day of judgment is so far in the unseen, but will be eventually in the realm of the seen. The divine decree starts in the unseen, but then we see it manifest. This is God's will. Resurrection again is in the future. And so Aqidah is addressing what are things, especially in the unseen, that I have to take as concrete. So at one level, it's creed and doctrine, but what else is it deeper? It's what I have to take as truthful, as true, and as concrete things that are in the unseen. Very, very short list. Okay. <clears throat> Next question. How is Iman in the unseen? Like what we said about Alif Lamin. So feel free to look at your notes. 
from yesterday and the day before when we spoke about Alif Lam Mim. Think of the different things we said. I don't know what this means. Allah knows what this means. I have intellectually submitted myself. I'm acknowledging that there's knowledge beyond my knowledge. How does belief in the unseen parallel what we said about Alif Lam Mim? What are your thoughts? Again, feel free to either speak or type. Dun, dun, dun. So we have intellectual submission of the unseen. The reference world uh, meaning is in the world of the unseen. Okay. So, so essentially, what are we saying? That Allah has greater understanding of things than us. All this would be uh, absolutely part of that, mashallah, for all these points. So... With Aleph Lamim, we're saying there is knowledge beyond mind limits. And in the Ghaib, we're saying there's a world of perception beyond mind limits. That Aleph Lamim, one point we can learn from it is that there is knowledge beyond my knowledge that Allah is knowledgeable of, that Allah is not limited by, but I am limited. And then with belief in the unseen, we're saying there's a world, might be many worlds, but a world of perception, a realm of perception that is beyond my limits. Is it knowledge beyond just my limits or in general the mind's limits? Uh, Yahya would be the difference between the two. It's a good question. It's a good philosophical question, but um, um, see if you can uh, figure out or suggest what would be the difference between saying my limits versus the mind's limits. So this is one of the elements of the belief in taqwa. And thus, in the same way that we said that this is a type of submission I am accepting Allah's superiority over me. This is also a type of submission. Or a type of surrender. Because uh, Allah Ta'ala is giving some access to some of this that he is not giving to others that he's not giving to me. So there are angels that have access to this. Uh, there are prophets that are given some access to this. I mean, angels that are given some access, I should say. And I am surrendering to the fact not only that Allah is not limited by this, but he will share of it to whomever he wills. And so this becomes part of the process of surrender. So Yahya is saying, there can be another human being capable of achieving uh, above my limits, or there can be no being. Okay, fair enough. The mind's limits in this case, that the message was for all. We all have different individual limits, but if this is beyond the limits of the actual mind, then the universality applies. I would say it's both universal and particular, that there are some aspects of the unseen and some aspects of knowledge that Allah has not and does not share with anyone, and that there are other aspects where he shares with particular people. Cool. And so it would be both of those points. 
my and mind. Okay, so this is the first attribute we have of the people of Taqwa. Uh, we have a, a bit more time. Let's get into the second attribute. They establish Salah. So Salah here is referring to the, the five daily prayers, primarily. And one way we've already said that the, that the five daily prayers are like Alif Lam Mim is in the way it's taught that Alif Lam Mim, it is much harder to teach it on paper how to pronounce it than from person to person. Right? I say, recite after me, Alif Lam Mim. Try writing that out. It'll probably take a couple pages as opposed to just saying it. And then likewise for the Salah, how do you learn? You learn from someone who learned from someone who learned from someone who learned from someone, going all the way back to the Prophet, peace be upon him. And as mentioned, the preservation of the prayer, the ongoing preservation of the prayer globally is one of the open miracles of, of Islam, right there, right before our eyes. And so how would you understand, what does it mean to establish Salah? Any reflections on this? What would that mean? Or what could that mean? Again, feel free to, to, to venture any, any guess. Chances are most of you will be more correct than you might realize. If someone, a person of taqwa has established salah. So they have a commitment. Yes, you've built it into your life. Yes, you have it done consistently. You make it a priority. Exactly, all of these things. So in simple language, I'm going to say this is an ongoing fixed routine. And I almost feel like the word routine doesn't capture it because uh, it almost makes it sound passive. And, and that's why I'm using the word ongoing. That the process of establishing Salah is an ongoing process. And we spoke before, we spoke the other day about levels of faith in the context of, can I ask someone other than Allah for help, like with my car or with homework or with my sickness? And we said what some people are at the level of physics and, and they're uh, interacting with the world according to just how cause and effect seems to work. I go to the doctor, doctor says, take this medication. I take it and hopefully it causes healing. And then the level of that is me understanding that the healing is not coming from the pill. The healing is coming from a law. And so either he's going to manifest it through this pill or not. And the level above that is everything is all about Allah. So think about this in terms of, of establishment of prayers. Levels of individual establishment. Right. 
First and number one is that they fit their prayers into their day. So the point here is suppose you're looking at your calendar, your schedule, your daily schedule, and you, you think, okay, I got a meeting from nine to 12, and then I have this meeting at this time, this meeting at this time. Okay, I'm gonna pray Thohar at this time. I'm gonna pray Asr at this time, Maghreb, and so forth and so on. Okay. And then a stronger level is you're fitting your day around your prayers. What would be a stronger level than this? Or a level of deeper faith? One is I'm making all my prayers, but you know, they're, they're, they're scattered based on my other meetings. And I'm also trying to schedule my meetings so I can squeeze my prayers in. The next person has decided, no, I'm organizing everything around my prayers. What else? So one day, one would be your day is continuous prayer. But here we're speaking of the, of the formal daily prayers. And so what else would be taking place here? Congregational prayers. And then for some people, they'll be, they'll be at different levels. If a person cannot do, for example, number two, because their, their work life and their home life is so overloaded, that's not a fail. What we're saying is that every level, uh, no matter what level someone's at, there's still a higher level that a person can get to potentially. And so the goal is to at least get to level one. And there'll be some people who can make congregational prayers, sometimes at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, sometimes in the middle of the day, right? And so these would also overlap with each other. And they do relate to a person's circumstance as well. If you're, for example, a grade school teacher, uh, it might be very hard for you to get anywhere close to number three or to number two. If you're working at a grocery store, especially these days, again, it might be next to impossible to even to do number one on time. And so then you consistently at least try to make them in uh, in the day, if not on time. So, but the key point I want you to think about is that there's even levels of establishment. And then there's also collective establishment. Because remember, when we looked at that surah, uh, Al-Fatiha, we said that we're speaking as a we. And so one level is to establish congregational prayers someplace.
Okay, and this may not be a fixed mosque. Okay. And better would be at a fixed location. So I'm old enough to remember uh, days of Islam in Chicago where in the entire city of Chicago and the entire suburbs of Chicago, all of it combined, we had one mosque. Now, mashallah, we have over a hundred, but I remember the days where there was literally just one. Okay. This is before Mosque Foundation. Yeah, Ruby remembers this, mashallah. This is before Mosque Foundation. This is before IFS. This is before all those places. Go. And then at every neighborhood, MCC. Sheikh uh, Omar, this is uh, uh, MCC gets established officially with a fixed location around 1969. So. And then in, and then some people broke off from MCC, moved to the suburbs, established IFS. And right before that, actually, that's when Mosque Foundation is, is getting established. I, I've, I've been to Mosque Foundation in its first year for, for prayers. And that whole neighborhood that's all houses now was an industrial park. And it was, it was literally you know, the, where that, uh, the prayer space is right now, the musalla, the core part of the musalla, where the imam space is, that was the entire masjid. And then expansion, expansion, expansion happened. And then higher than that is that it's a part of society's daily routine. And so that is also an ongoing process. And of course that relates to what the Muslim population is. If the Muslim population in, in a particular society is, is tiny, then you're not gonna be going beyond the first or second uh, step here. If the Muslim population is, is all over the place, then yeah, naturally you're gonna have, have numerous uh, Islamic centers. And in fact, you also find this interesting when MCC was established, there's actually a documentary you can find on YouTube that, that I helped make, uh, I'd have to find the link, um, that we made at the 25th anniversary of MCC. Now they're celebrating, they just celebrated their 50th anniversary. And uh, they were looking for a location. It was a bunch of people who, who, had, uh, who were graduating from grad school or, or were now professional engineers or something, and they're looking for a place to establish a mosque. And they went to these Turkish people and the Turkish people are like, yeah, you guys are too religious for us. You know, we, gotta, we have our, our cultural center, but we also have a bar in the basement. And then we found, they found some Bosnians and the Bosnians eventually moved to Northbrook. And then and this was on Kedzi. And, and MCC got established. And then about a decade and, and a half later, they moved to the place on Elston, which is where they are now. And then in, in that period of time, then they established an additional center uh, in Morton Grove. And in that period, in the early 80s and beyond, then we had this huge proliferation. The, the mosque that I grew up in, the Frankfurt Mosque, was established in, in the late 70s. I remember literally the first day of school. And prior to it being established, um, the, the families would, would rent out 
school spaces. We used to go to a Mary Kay Cosmetics, um, all kinds of different spaces. So. Okay, so ongoing collective establishment. So all of this is part of the establishment of Salah. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll look for the, the, the video, inshallah. Okay, let's stop right here. So we've gone through two of the attributes. What we have not looked at is to also compare how is the establishment of Salah like Iman in the unseen, and how is it also like Alif Lam Mim that we will uh, discuss tomorrow, inshallah. But let's open up the floor for questions. about anything at all. Santiago, you should wait for you to give us the first question, but no questions for you either today? I don't know, I was, I was trying to think about it, but yeah, I really wrote them down as they come, but I didn't have any today, you just did such a great job. Oh, mashallah, finally, finally, I'm doing it right. Yeah. Uh, I had a random question. Go um, for it, Sana. So, you know how they say that, uh, we humans are uh, in, in like, we're like stronger than jinns, but it's not like strength wise, but like, how is it that we're like, like, like humans are like, not like better, like the best form? Uh, expanding your question. I'm not sure if I understand. I think I do, but I'm not sure like, if I do. Um, how are we like the best of creation? Like, so, okay. So uh, one aspect and this we'll get into when we get into origins, which will be towards the end of this all. So humans are considered to be, so of all of the creations of the world, humans are considered to be the most sacred, the best of all creation. And the best of all humans would be the prophets, peace be upon them. And then even the prophets, there's there's a, a, some degree, a small degree of a hierarchy and such. But what is it that essentially makes humans superior? It is intellect. That we are given a superior intellect and relate to that we've been given knowledge or we have access to knowledge that others do not have. And what makes us superior to jinns, one is, or to angels, is a superior intellect as well as the capability of voluntarily obeying Allah. So angels are essentially like God's robots. They don't have the ability to disobey Allah. And so think of a tree or a lion or a horse or a cloud. Those do not have the ability to disobey Allah. So they wait. do exactly, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. So they do exactly what Allah Ta'ala prescribes. And humans do it voluntarily. So a human can be worse than an animal, you know. Um, but can be better or can be at, at the level essentially of an angel. Uh, Aya or whoever is speaking uh, uh, through Aya's computer, go for it. Um, Sabrina, of course. Uh, you said that angels are basically robots because they don't have the capability or the will to disobey a law, but yes. the shaitan did. Shaitan's not an angel. Oh snap! More of I, uh, more of Sabrina Sunday School getting shattered to little pieces. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. interesting. That we'll get to when we get to uh, I have thirty-four, inshallah. Okay. Uh, but so then, how do you think? Like, 
how about people who are like you know um uh like mentally uh handicapped well there would be a special class uh depending upon so a person is only uh there's sort of a classification of what does it take for someone to be considered held to be held to, uh to account before allah the word being mukallaf you know uh for someone to be responsible before allah one uh, aspect of it is maturity and, and and this includes both physical and mental maturity which is essentially puberty ish and another is that they're mentally capable and so if someone is not mentally capable uh then chances are inshallah they go straight to paradise because they do not have the capacity to to depending upon the capacity we're talking about they may not have the capacity to uh uh, even address matters of obedience or disobedience. So they're not held responsible. Make sense? Yeah, that is. Yeah, sure. From a societal level, it might be different. You know, if, if someone who is found, uh, who commits a crime, but is found to be mentally incompetent, uh, sometimes the, the rules might be different in terms of adjudication of a crime. But in terms of standing before Allah Ta'ala, you're held to account according to what you're capable of. Any other questions about anything at all? Yeah. So I do have a question about the angels. Yeah. All right. Um, so you said that they do not have the ability to disobey um, right. law of commands. Say, right. But does that mean that they still have free or the ability to voluntarily choose? That is, they have a will. They can intend things. Only, only that when God yes. commands, they can't do anything like that, or they can't disobey. That is correct. They have self-consciousness. They have they have a certain amount of will. Um, but if Allah gives a command, they can even question Allah, as we will see. But they don't. Uh, they will not be able to disobey Allah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Any other questions? Uh, is Gabriel more important than other angels? So think of angels also as being of different levels. So Gabriel is one of the most important of all the angels. Yes. You know, there's a number of angels that are sort of at the top of the hierarchy. One is Gabriel, one is the angel of death, and a few other ones. But no. There are some angels whose whole responsibility is to prostrate before God. And there's the angels that are the how do we say this, the caretakers of paradise, the caretakers of hell, uh, caretakers of things in the earth. Every one of us has, has angels that are recording everything we do, all my good deeds, all my bad deeds. So many, many different functions. And so it's kind of like saying they're the ones that are running the whole world behind the scenes. Any other questions about anything at all? Otherwise, we can stop right here, inshallah. Oh, I had a question. Um, with, you know how you said that there um, might be other uh, beings that we don't know of? Yes. How do we know that there are other beings? So we have hints in the Hadith literature itself, and then we have reports that people may or may not take us seriously. But yeah. I mean, a way to think about this is that as widespread as life is in the seen world, whether we're talking about something as small as, as bacteria 
to something as large as the blue whale. Uh, there might even be, you know, even larger beings in the seen realm that we've just never come across. And then uh, in the unseen realm, there might be as much of a variety, if not more, in the unseen realm. And why not? Other questions about anything at all? Yeah, sure, I do. Um, so I've been reading the Quran, right? And it says that in multiple verses, it says that God controls everything, right? And then in other verses, it implies that we make choices as well, yeah. right? Um, is the Quran just, is it ambiguous whether we have just complete free will or limited free will? So that we'll get to uh, uh, very soon when we get to I six and seven, and then then get ready for your head to start spinning. Then, inshallah. Okay. Okay. Uh, Santiago, is any of this related to black matter in space? Could be. So there's dark matter. There's dark energy. Uh, it could be uh, related to that. Could be related to gravity in in our realm. Allah knows best. There are some modern Quran commentators that do associate angels with forces like magnetic forces, electromagnetic forces and such. Um, they're, they're, we find them more, you know, starting in around the 1800s and as the realm of science starts growing. But the bottom line is that uh, uh, that may or may not be the case. Random question. Do we actually know how angels look like or some angels look like? Um, well, we do know uh, how they have appeared before the prophet, peace be upon him. And so sometimes the angel Gabriel, the angel Jibril, comes in the form of a man who looked like one of the companions. His name was Dihya al-Kalbi, and he was a very, very handsome man. Sometimes angel Gabriel comes looking like that. Uh, the prophet, peace be upon him, has also seen uh, the angel Jibril, the angel Gabriel, in his natural form and he has 600 wings. And to try to comprehend the size, uh, imagine you have a ring, like the ring someone would wear on their finger, and imagine it in the middle of the desert. Imagine that ring is the entire universe, and then the desert is a common angel. Okay. Now imagine that common angel is the ring, and imagine the desert is a major angel. Okay. And then imagine the major angel is the ring, and then the desert is the throne of God, the kursi. Okay. So if Jibril is that large, try to comprehend what the prophet, peace be upon him, saw. Any other questions? I saw, let's see, I saw that a video was posted on, I don't know what, white or YouTube, uh, about will the appearance of uh, the Surya star on May 12th and the COVID pandemic, I don't get the context of the star or its relation to the pandemic. Uh, I got nothing for you on that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know if, uh, if Sheikh Omar, you're familiar with anything like this about the Surya star. Uh, my guess is that it's probably not gonna stop the pandemic, but, uh, uh, if that's what it takes, that'd be pretty awesome. Any other questions about anything at all? All righty. We will then continue, inshallah, 
tomorrow. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik. Subhanakallahumma glory to you O Allah wa bihamdika praise and gratitude are to you. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta we bear witness there is no god but you. Nastaghfiruka we seek your forgiveness wa natubu ilaik and we turn to you. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik. Uh, Ruby, I don't know if you saw, I posted the link to the, the MCC documentary, inshallah. And I'll see you, inshallah, tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.